If you've been uh, traveling along with us through this extended look at the, the book of Psalms, you've no doubt noticed by now that reading from it is a whole lot different than uh, reading an account of, let's say, the patriarchs from the Old Testament or uh, a narrative about the life of Christ in the Gospels because, you know, stories like that usually have a plot and they've got multiple characters involved and, and usually dialogue and action but the Psalms don't have very much of that, do they? And the Psalms are also quite a bit different than uh, reading the New Testament epistles like Ephesians or like 1 John, which, you know, contain personal correspondence and instructions for Christian living. And, and the main difference uh, is that these Psalms are written as poetry. So just a, a quick show of hands. How many people here enjoy poetry? Okay. How many people don't? enjoy poetry okay all right that's okay and i confess i'm asking for a reason because i want to show you guys something uh, about the poetry of this next psalm that we're looking at today in psalm 36 and for those of you that raised your hand and said you you don't like poetry this this next couple minutes four minutes or so are going to be about four and a half minutes of your life you're never going to get back so just because you're a captive audience but seriously, there, there, is a, there is a feature of this psalm, and many of them really, uh, called synonymous parallelism. Synonymous parallelism. It's not as complicated as the name makes it sound. Synonymous parallelism is just a, a poetic literary device that contains the repetition of one idea in two successive lines. Okay, one idea, two lines. So the first uh, half of a verse will make a statement, and the second half essentially says the same thing in different words. Make sense? So like, uh, for, for example, Psalm 120, uh, verse 2 is a good example of synonymous parallelism. It says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Okay, so the idea of lying lips in the first verse is repeated in the second line as, as deceitful tongues. So two expressions uh, use different words and just describe the same thing. They're both talking about a mouth that can't tell the truth, okay? And so the meaning of both lines are synonymous. Another good example is Proverbs 3.11, uh, which says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. So do not despise is equal to do not resent. Uh, and the Lord's discipline is synonymous with his rebuke. And so the first part of the command lines up real neatly with the second part. That's synonymous parallelism. That's all there is to it. But now that you know what it is, I want you to be listening for it as we read Psalm 36. And it is superscribed as to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. And he writes, a transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink 
from the rivers of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So I hope you notice some of the the parallel passages in there. Like, uh, for instance, the Lord extends his, his love to the heavens and his faithfulness to the clouds. Or how it said the people feast on the abundance of his house and drink from the rivers of his delight. And I'm kind of pointing that out. Because with all of that parallelism going on there, there was one verse that really jumped out at me, and that was verse 9. So I want to back up and look at it. It said, for, for, this is verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Now, if you just think about that for a minute. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. If that's a part of the Hebrew parallelism that's going on here, then somehow those two statements have to be saying the same thing. That God, as the psalmist is saying, brings together and is equating light and life. And you know, if you think about it, that's really a theme that that comes up a lot in Scripture. And so today I want to take that idea uh, and look at that idea of God providing light and life from a few different angles by looking at the aspects of physical light and how it parallels the light and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, and you know, the first thing that light does is light brings sight and understanding. You know, if you look up the dictionary definition uh, of light, the first one uh, listed in there is uh, the light is something that makes vision possible. In other words, light makes it possible for us to see, and without it, we're hopelessly blind. We're blind to our surroundings, and we're blind to our situations and our circumstances, uh, and blind sometimes even to ourselves. Because light makes it possible for us to see clearly, to see things as they really are. And you know, the opposite of that uh, is true. The absence of light causes blindness. You know, if you grew up on a farm, you know, horses kept in dark stables uh, and denied sunlight become blind, right? Uh, I had grandparents that worked in the coal mines. Pack mules kept too long in dark mines become blind. Uh, and even people confined in dark prisons and underground places that are denied light lose their sight too and and in the same way before jesus most of the world was spiritually blind i wasn't able to see the spiritual reality uh, that was around it and had become blind and rejected god and it wasn't because god hadn't made his light available but the people had rejected in fact paul tells us that in romans 121 he said yes they knew god but they wouldn't worship him as god or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. So mankind was spiritually blind and therefore spiritually lost and confused. And, and Jesus even reiterated this. He said in John twelve thirty five, My light will shine for you just a little while longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they're going. That kind of sounds like a warning for us, doesn't it? You know, mankind, because of our stubborn refusal to see his light uh, as a society, we've lost sight of who we are and of where we come from and of why we're here and of where we're going. But, you know, God doesn't give up on us, does he? 
Because he did send us Jesus who came as the light to help this blind world regain its sight. That's why he tells us in John 12, he said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. You see, Jesus is saying, I came into the world to make it possible for you to see again, for you to see who God created you to be, for you to see how much God loves you, for you to see how far you've fallen away from him. And not just so you'll realize that you're lost, but to actually shine a light on the path back to him. That's why 1 John 5.20 says, and we know that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. And you know, that's the second thing that light does. Light brings life. That's what I was talking to the kids about. You know, you, we, we learned in grade school that without sunshine, there would be no possibility of life on earth, right? The sun's a source of energy for all the world's plants. Uh, and indirectly then for the animals that eat them, and then we eat the animals. Take away the sunlight, and life on earth would soon come to an end. And, you know, sunlight sustains our lives not only due to the energy it provides our food, but it also helps our body to synthesize vitamins, and it helps bring vitality to our red and white blood cells. And as vital then as we know that sunlight is for physical life on the planet, so the light of the Son of God is vital for our spiritual lives. And Jesus, as the light of the world, brings us that light that quickens and restores our spiritual life. Just as Jesus uh, told us that in John 8 when he said, uh, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. The light of Christ to energize our spirits because our spiritual life can be found in no other and just as he is the giver of physical life on earth, he's also the provider of spiritual life. So together, this idea kind of pulls in that physically and spiritually, Christ is the author of life itself. That's why he says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And you know, that light that Jesus brings to the world really kind of reveals that truth that he is the only way to the Father, but some folks don't like to see that, do they? People don't always like it when we shine a spotlight on the fact that not all religions are the same or lead to the same place. They don't like it when we talk about there being only one way to heaven. And for those of you in, in Sunday school class, we talked about this before, but I shared with them a quote by Christian author Ravi Zacharias who wrote, because of our human nature, if God had given us ten ways to salvation, we'd want 11, right? If he'd given us 10 ways to be saved, we'd, we'd, as humanity, we'd want 11. There would always be someone who would want just that one more exception. Someone would say, well, God, that's not fair. Uh, you gave us 10 ways to be saved, but I don't like any of those 10 ways. Uh, couldn't I have just one more option? But you know, the, the light that Christ brings shines on this issue so that we can See, the real truth is that it's not so much that there's only one way, but thanks be to God that he made any way at all. Right? That he made any way at all. Because none of us deserve redemption, do we? But because of the light and life of Jesus Christ, we're able to see and to recognize and to follow the path that leads to the Father. 
And once we've accepted Jesus and begun that spiritual life and found that straight and narrow path, it's then that the light of Christ shines on our sanctification process and begins highlighting and illuminating all of those areas of our life that he wants to work on, all of those places that he wants to make changes, uh, shining the light of truth on our, our actions and our attitudes and on our affections, uh, kind of like a, a surgeon shining a, a spotlight to see to begin cutting out damaged tissue. Or maybe like a jeweler shining a bright light on a raw diamond so he can cut it apart from the other impurities. Or, or even like a person who's uh, washing clothes that holds a garment up to the light to see if there's any hidden stains. Because that's another thing that light does is light purifies and removes stains. You guys probably knew that, that sunlight removes stains from soiled cloth, you ladies, right? So I, I don't know, I've seen my mother-in-law hang like a gravy-stained tablecloth out in the sunlight to remove a stubborn spot. Anybody done that? And, you know, leave it out there until the, the sun bleaches that spot. And not only does sunlight remove stains, but, you know, sunlight actually purifies. Uh, in 1877, it was discovered that sunlight can kill bacteria. Uh, two English scientists, Downs and Blunt, discovered by chance that sugar water... Uh, in a bowl, in a clear bowl left on a windowsill, turned cloudy in the shade, but it stayed clear in the sunlight. Uh, and after examination, they realized bacteria grew uh, in the shaded solution, but not in the one exposed to the sun. And we know now that ultraviolet rays from the sun purify the air for us. They kill bacteria and germs, uh, kind of destroying them in our environment before they get into our bodies. Uh, and just as the light of the sun purifies and removes physical stains, so Jesus, the light of the world, removes spiritual stains of sin from our souls. One of my favorite passages from uh, Isaiah says to us, uh, this is God speaking, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. So you know, even though uh, sin has stained our lives as red as a dinner napkin used to clean up a spilled glass of wine. The light of Jesus can shine on our hearts and renew us and forgive us. Because if we're living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And, and you know, if you remember the story when Jesus uh, instructed the apostle Paul to preach his gospel to the world, he said in Acts uh, 26 to him to go and open the eyes so that many would turn from darkness to light and from the power of satan to god and he said so when that happens then they'll receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among god's people who are set apart by faith in christ you know that's the the cleansing that we receive when we accept jesus into our lives because when we obey the gospel not only is our soul purified but our conscience is cleansed cleansed of our guilt and i don't know about you but i need that because even after we become christians the continued cleansing of christ is still required isn't it because even though we strive to obey his will i don't know about you but we as far as i know all still stumble from time to time don't we that's why first john 1 8 says if we claim we have no sin we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth but if we confess our sin to him he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, right? As the Lord calls sinners to repentance and saints to fellowship, 
as he calls the, the lost to judgment and believers to holiness. And that means that we have to let the light of Christ enlighten our minds with God's word because it's only through his word that we learn God's perspective and receive his divine guidance as God's revelation shows us the way out of darkness and into light, shows us the way out of sin and into righteousness, leads us out of gloom into hope, leads us out of failure into victory, out of misery into joy, and most importantly, out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ and into his cure for our sin-sick soul. Because, you know, that's another thing that light does is light heals. Uh, Light has been used for healing since the time of ancient Egypt. And modern scientists began recognizing the benefits of light therapy in about the 1700s. And if you guys have had skin cancer like me, you know overexposure to UV rays can be harmful. But doctors still maintain that our body needs it in order to function properly. And so just as natural light may heal physical wounds and afflictions, the light of Jesus' love and compassion brings healing to the darkness of our emotional wounds and to those afflictions that we have in our heart and mind. In fact, our Lord once said in the words of the prophet Isaiah, he said, I have the spirit of the Lord upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that blind eyes will see and that the oppressed will be set free. And you know, we've all been spiritually blind at one time or another, haven't we? Or at least we've been guilty of having spiritual blind spots. And so we can have those blind spots of what's going on right in our midst. And in a spiritual sense, without the light of Christ, we can be blind to what God's doing in our lives as well. Because, you know, sometimes people have been spiritually blinded by adversity and by affliction and by loss. And I know several people that are carrying burdens as a result of blindly making bad decisions in the past. But the good news is, that for all those things and more, the light of Christ is a source of healing shining brightly ahead of us as a light at the end of our tunnel. Because that's the last thing that light does. Light cheers and brings joy. Isaiah 60 says, Your sun, O Lord, will never set. Your moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. You know, there's a, a lot of reasons why people walk around in mourning while they have trouble discovering true and lasting happiness. And it's because we're usually looking for the wrong things. That ever happened to anybody? We're usually looking for the wrong things. We've talked about this before briefly too. That the problem is happiness depends on what happens. Things are going great, we may be happy, but when things take a turn for the worse, that happiness disappears really quickly. And you know, that's not a 21st century experience. And I'll give you a A quick example, if you take a look at things that people have pursued in history and in culture, uh, the greatest pursuit of the Hebrew people was was light, as we've been talking about. Everything for them was idealized as light. Uh, They said, the the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, This is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Isaiah wrote, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. So for the Hebrew people, light was their great pursuit. For the Romans, their great pursuit was glory. Glory of Rome, the glory of Caesar, the the glory of the empire, the glory of that city to which all roads led. So so Rome pursued glory. So just keep this in mind. Hebrews pursued light, Rome pursued glory. The Greek culture pursued knowledge. 
They sought the ideal of the academy and the sophists and wisdom and the ideals of knowledge. So Hebrews pursued light, Greeks pursued knowledge, Romans pursued glory. And now with all those in mind, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul, who was a Hebrew by birth, a citizen of Rome and raised in a Greek-influenced city, he says, and I want you to get this, 2 Corinthians 4, he said, God has caused the light to shine in the darkness has caused his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, that's where he draws all of our desires together. All of those things that people have desired in the world, glory and knowledge and power, he says that Christ is here to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so today we need to be asking ourselves, are you and I walking in the light today or are we still walking in darkness? You know, because if you have been reborn by the work of the Holy Spirit, if you believed in Christ as your only Savior, you have a new life. But if you haven't done that, if you haven't repented and decided to leave a life of sin, if you haven't dedicated the remainder of your life to please Him, you're still in darkness. Unless you have verbally confessed your belief that Jesus is the son of the living God, you're still in darkness. You've yet to know and experience the full benefits of his light. And if you haven't done that, I urge you today to put your faith in him. You know, he's promised that uh, anyone who comes to him in faith, he'll never turn away. So don't wait. Because once you've experienced Jesus as the light of the world, you can say in the words of that old hymn, no darkness have we who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light. Tis shining for thee. Sweetly that light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Amen.